Let's be turning to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Today, at the end of chapter 3 and the first verse in verse, uh, chapter 4, I want to look at three relationships. Paul gives us three relationships. One between wives and husbands. The other between children and parents. And the third between servants and masters, or employees and employers. And regardless of how many relationships you find yourself in, each of these are instructive to us. They tell us something about the believer's relationship to Christ. And that's what I want to speak to you about today. The believer's relationship to Christ. That's our focus. So I want to begin in verse 17, Colossians 3, 17. And whatsoever ye do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. We begin here with Christ, because that's the key to our understanding of these <clears throat> relationships that God the Father has ordained for every child of God, for every one of his children, for believers. Everything that we do in our lives should be done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it should be done with thanksgiving unto the Father by Jesus Christ with an eye to the glory of God. That's our interest. That's our care. That's the interest that the Father has given to his children. A desire to know him, a desire to serve him, to do things in his name for his glory. Nothing we do in this life, and I mean that, nothing we do in this life for others and nothing we do in this life for ourselves should be done except it be done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the glory of God. With thanksgiving to the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says do all, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Is there anything accepted from all? No. Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. If you're about to do something that you cannot do in the name of the Lord Jesus, then don't do it. Don't do it. If you're going to do something and you can't do it in the name of Christ, if you're ashamed to do it, then don't do it. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Pray about it. Wait till you can do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. You know, someone might say, and I have this in my notes. I don't think I can get drunk in the name of the Lord Jesus. Well, that tells you whether or not you should get drunk. We don't live under the law, but we know what sin is. And if you can't do it in a good conscience in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, then the Lord by his spirit is showing you that's not for you. Don't do it. What you do isn't for yourself. It's not for others. It's for the glory of God. And that's our focus. That's what he's teaching us. Now, the three relationships described in our text here at the end of Colossians 3, 
They have to do with authority. And that's hard against this flesh. This flesh bucks against authority. This flesh fights against authority and being brought under bondage and servitude to another. Though we're the servants of sin by nature in Adam. We're all sinners in Adam. And, and we're brought under the servitude of sin and death. None of us escapes that in Adam. Only Christ delivers from sin and death. He gives life, life in himself. Now, we're under the authority, as believers, we're under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Father gave his children to Christ. He gave his bride to Christ for their salvation, for their provision, for their care and protection in the same way that a husband is given to a wife for her provision, for her protection, for her care. We're put into the hands of Christ because we cannot save ourselves. There's none of us that is righteous and able to deliver ourselves from sin and the power of it and from death and the power of the grave. We cannot do it. We need salvation. We need a Savior. We need the Lord Jesus Christ, whom the Father hath sent to save his people from their sins and to give us life in himself. The Father chose a people in Christ before the foundation of the world, and he gave them to Christ for him to lay down his life for her as his beloved bride, whom he loves. He willingly came and gave his life for his bride. Ephesians 1.4 says that it's according as God hath chosen us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. We were chosen in Christ for this purpose, and therefore it follows that it's God who has ordained our marriages. It's God who has ordained the family that we are in. It's God that has ordained our jobs, our employers, our peers, our fellow employees and colleagues. God ordained all of that. And that's hard when we have difficult days and hard times. It's hard for us to hear and believe and trust that God has ordained this for my good. Even things that happen to us that we think are horrible and probably are according to the flesh, the trouble that we cause ourselves, and yet God has given that to you to bring you to hear this word this day according to his ordaining power, according to his glory to cause you to hear what he has to say to his people in the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, knowing that God has ordained these things, we're to serve him faithfully in all these relationships, giving thanks to the Lord in all of them, in all of them. So the first relation that Paul records here is that of wives and husbands. <clears throat> it says, Colossians 3, 18 and 19, Wives, submit yourselves <clears throat> unto your own husbands <clears throat> as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Now this relationship here teaches all of us, whether we're married or not, it teaches all of us something about submission and love. God ordained that wives should be in subjection to their husbands. I know the spirit of this world. 
This world says that's foolish. Men are hard. Men are evil. Men are wicked. Men do this, and they abuse that, that authority. It, I know that. The Lord knows that. But he says to you that are his children, his people, he says, well, he, he reveals and shows us that he ordained this. He knew what he was doing. He knows the wickedness of, in man's heart. He knows that we are flesh and but dust. He knows that, and yet God himself ordained that women should be subject, submissive to their husbands. God made the union of a husband and wife. He made it. Why? Because it pictures the relationship of Christ, our husband, to his church, his bride. It pictures that. God didn't look at, at marriage and say, there's a good picture that'll show the people about my, my son and, and his bride. No, he ordained marriage because it pictures Christ and his bride. It shows us that relationship in perfection. When writing of this to the Ephesians, Paul wrote to the Colossians here, and he wrote to the Ephesian church, and he used very similar language to what he said to the Colossians. I'm going to read from Ephesians 5, verse 20 and 21. It's not far from Colossians. He said, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. And so the Lord shows us that in the church, men and women, even though men aren't, aren't wives, but men and women in the church learn submission. We submit one to another. How do we do that? We're careful with one another, careful not to offend, careful to be gentle and understanding, to hear one another, to labor together for that <clears throat> one common goal, that the gospel would go forth and, and deliver the Lord's people from death. We do that because we love our Lord. We love his body. And we don't want our Lord or his body, his name, to be stained. We do that in love because we care. We care about the body. We care about the ministry. And that's the mindset of the wife to her husband. Ephesians 5.22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. We have one husband. We have one Lord, Jesus Christ. We're not just religious and worshiping any religious thing. No, we have one Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. We hear his voice the same way that a wife has one husband and she hears his voice. She doesn't submit to other husbands. She has one husband. And it shows the church who has one husband, the Lord Jesus Christ. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. And that speaks to what Christ did to save his people from their sins. Remember I said earlier, we cannot save ourselves. We're not righteous in ourselves. We're all sinners. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We don't save ourselves. We don't turn our lives around and fix things and make ourselves savable for God. 
But even while we were yet enemies and enmity in our hearts against God, Christ laid down his life for his bride, for his sheep, because he loves her. The Father gave her to Christ before the foundation of the world, and he loves her. He willingly came and laid down his life, making provision of himself for his bride, giving her and her children everything she needs for her safety, for her care, for her comfort, to meet her needs, to give her exactly what she needs. He is the faithful and the perfect husband. And, and you that have a perfect husband like that, you love him. You love him and you're happy to serve him because he thinks of you and he's provided everything that you need. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be subject to their, be to their own husbands in every thing. And we all understand this. As believers, we understand this because we're in subjection to Christ. We hear his voice. We obey him. We seek God's grace and help and mercy to help us to hear his words, to obey him, and to serve him. The flesh doesn't like subjection. The flesh doesn't, doesn't like this. And so we find excuses and justify ourselves. But in the new man, in that spirit that he gives us, we love Christ our husband. We love his voice. We love his words, and we want to follow him. And we seek him for grace and mercy to help us so that we can follow him. And so you that are wives, look to that relationship of the church to her Lord. Look at that. To know how to, to be in subjection to your husbands, look at how the church is subject to her to the Lord, her husband. That's the pattern that, that we look to. And knowing that the Lord gave you to that man, and he prepared that man for you. He ordained it. He ordained it for your good and for that man's good. You pray for your husband. Husbands are ignorant. Husbands are hard. Husbands are difficult. I know that. I'm a husband. I understand that. Pray for him, right? If, if, if he's being hard or difficult or frustrating or embittering you, pray for that man, that the Lord teach him, because the Lord is able. He's the Lord. Even if he doesn't believe, he's the Lord. The, the Lord loves you, and he'll do for you what you need. He'll provide for you as your husband. So pray for that man, that the Lord make him a faithful husband and a provider for you and for your children, pray for them, because the Lord is able to teach them. We, we often, we're, we're married young, we're boys in a lot of ways. We're, we're immature, and we think of ourselves, <clears throat> and we need the grace of God to deliver us. Pray for that man. Pray for your husband. <clears throat> if you're not married now, pray for the man that the Lord has chosen for you, that he prepare you for him and him for you. Pray for that one. Pray for your, your spouse, whoever they may be. Pray for them. And then subject yourself to, to that man in godly hope, trusting the Lord. Not trusting the man, trusting the Lord to, to teach him and guide him. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Husbands, you look to how Christ loves the church. There's our pattern. Look to how Christ loves the church. That word bitter could refer to the husband, right? The husband may be a little boy, 
not wanting to lay down his life, not wanting to put aside his fun and games and, and to do what he needs to do in labor to provide for his wife and to take care of her. He may not want to. And, and that might cause him to be bitter. But it also could mean that the husband is making his wife bitter by a heavy hand. By a heavy hand. Christ loved the church. He laid down his life to give life to the church, to deliver her from the wrath of God, which is declared in this word, we're all sinners and God's going to judge sin. But for the believer, he judged our sin in Christ. Christ came as our substitute. Christ came as the surety to pay all the debt that his bride owed. He said, put it on my account. I'll bear it. I'll do for her what she cannot do for herself. Christ came as the substitute, and he took her place, dying in her place on the cross, bearing her sins to make an atonement, to deliver her from that, that wrath that she earned, and to give her life and salvation in himself instead of what she deserved. God is gracious to us in Christ. So how are you to provide for your wife? The same way Christ laid down his life for the bride. You lay down your life. You do what you need to do to provide for your wife. Christ is the head of the body. He does what's right for the church. He thinks about it. He prays about it. He, well, the, the, the husband prays about it and, and cares about what he's doing. He's not careless and indifferent to his responsibilities to his wife. He does what's right for her. What, and, and what Christ does is what's right for her. And that doesn't mean that the husband gives his wife whatever she says she wants or needs. No, he's careful. He, he, he thinks about whether or not they, they do really need it, given all the other things that, that we, we need, because we have to make choices. None of us is independently wealthy here. We have to make choices, wise choices that, that provide for everything that's needed. So we don't just give them everything they ask for, but, but we do labor to give our wives what they need. And it should delight our hearts to bless them. It should delight our hearts to, to do those things for our wives that, that we know are a comfort and a help to them and show them that we do indeed love them. Because you think about it, she's subjecting herself to you, husbands. She's making sacrifices. The, the, the wives and mothers I've known make sacrifices for their husbands and for their children, oftentimes foregoing the, the better things for themselves, foregoing sleep, foregoing all kinds of things to take care of their children and their husbands. And so as the husband who loves his wife, you're mindful of that. She's making sacrifices all over the place. Someone needs to care for her. Someone needs to say, honey, <laughs> what about you? What about you? You do this. You, you take that because it shows her that we're thinking of her and that we're mindful of her in the same way that the Lord thinks of us and is mindful of us and, and our needs. This is what Peter said. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, 
And she's weaker, but she's making sacrifices that we as men wouldn't go without. (laughs) Be mindful of that as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered. All right, because if she's crying out, Lord, this man's not doing for me what I need him to do. Help him, teach him. The Lord's going to teach you. He's going to help you, make you to see and to know what you have need of knowing so that you love your wife and lay down your, your life for her. And so Paul wrote more to the husbands in Ephesians 5 than he did to the wives. He wrote more. He said in verse uh, Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. And you know what that tells me? Biggest, most important provision of a husband is to put his wife and their children in a faithful gospel church. That is more important than the dream job and the the big money-making job, right? Taking your your family away from a gospel church. No, you want to first provide for their spiritual needs, Put your wife and children in a faithful gospel church, first and foremost, and the job will take care of itself. It may not be the most, uh, the biggest income, but you're doing what is your first primary responsibility, the same way Christ first provided for his wife spiritually, to, to deliver her from death and to give her life in himself. It's not the dream home. It's to be in that local assembly with your brethren. That is our first responsibility as husbands. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies, the same way that Christ loved his body, the church. He that loveth his wife loveth himself, for no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. Now, let me just say to to this too. For you young men or or you that are married or, or looking to be married one day, Don't hold a firm hand over your wives demanding their subjection, insisting on it. And what I mean is, don't, don't, what we do as young men, especially young young believers, there's a time usually when we're, we're talking to our wives and it's heated and we say to them, you need to be in subjection to me, right? We think that's the thing to say. Now you can ask any one of these men who have said something like that to their wives, and just ask them, did a wave of love and, and, and just comfort wash over your wife's heart when you said that? Did they suddenly say, you're right, I didn't even know that. What was I thinking? And then suddenly do all these nice things for you? No, it had the opposite effect. It made them feel threatened. It made, us feel, it made wives feel like, what did I just get myself into with this man? Who's this man? Right? It, it didn't do that, so don't say it, because it's only going to make them bitter. More likely, there's something going on. Ask your wives, honey, what, what, what is going on? What's troubling you? What can I do to understand what, 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 you're, what you're upset about? And usually, they're going to tell you what, what is bothering them. They're going to get it out eventually, so be patient. Don't, don't force it out of them. Ask them. 
be nice. Show that you do care and that you're listening to what they're saying. Our Lord says to us, I'm meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. So be gentle in the same way that your Lord tenderly cares for his bride and speaks with grace in his heart, comforting her and encouraging her. That's what you do. Give her tokens of love. Be patient. Be understanding. She's, she's learning to subject you the way that you're learning to love her and lay down your, your life for her. You're both learning. You're both growing. And, and we're always learning that. And the more we invest in our wives, what, I, what I've found is the more I've invested in my wife and been mindful of her, the more easily and sweetly she's happy to do things for me. It just, it, it just gets reciprocated. The Lord blesses that, and, and it helps her to be content when you're being patient and kind and understanding. And so this marriage is a relationship where we're taught to subject ourselves to Christ. We see our subjection to our husband because it's for the good of the body. And we're learning about love and learning how to be gentle and patient and kind with our, with our wives. And so look at, look at that relationship there. Now I need to move on. The next relation is between children and their parents. It says back in Colossians 3, verse 20, Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Now Paul, when he was writing to the Ephesians, he added this here. He said that it may be well with you. He was talking about the commandment of children obeying their parents with this added promise that it may be well with thee and thou mayest live long on the earth. Now let me just give you first the sense here is that if you listen, you, you, you children, if you hear what your parents are teaching you, if you give ear to their wise instruction, they're speaking from experience, Believe it or not, they've been through the same things that you've been through. They've been children at times in, in their lives with parents telling them and, and speaking to them. If you give ear to them, they're actually telling you some very good, helpful things to help you be wise, to make good decisions in life as opposed to bad decisions that will lead to a harder, more difficult, more troublesome life. Hear what they're saying. Give heed to what they're saying, and you'll more likely, more often than not, avoid very hurtful, dramatic things that go on in much of society today where people don't hear the Lord and have no grounding or foundation, no anchor in Christ. But the gospel picture here, the gospel picture in what Paul said there, that thou mayest live long upon the earth, it pictures Christ and what Christ did as the Son of God submitting to his Father and coming here willingly and laying down his life for his bride. It pictures the gospel so that in his obedience he was justified of the Father who raised him from the dead. And he obtained what? Eternal life. Long life. Eternal life for his bride, and her children. For you that believe Christ by faith, who come to God, not in your own works, 
not in your own goodness, but in the goodness, in the perfect obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it pictures. That's the long life we're looking for, is eternal life by the Lord Jesus Christ. He obeyed the Father in all things. He fulfilled all righteousness for his people. He willingly laid down his life for the bride, which was given to him by the Father before the foundation of the world. And so he obtained eternal life for her by his death and resurrection as her substitute on the cross, taking her place to deliver her from death and give her life. Without the son's obedience to the father, we have no life. There is no eternal life for us. Then it says in Colossians 3.21, Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. You know, a faithful father has a tremendous beneficial effect for children. That's a blessing to have a faithful father who cares for you and loves you and provides for you, who loves the Lord and, and, and is seeking your good in the Lord. That, that's, a, that's a blessing. But understand, fathers, your children are going to fail. They're going to, to come up short of the glory of God. And they're going to fail to come up to your expectations at times. It's going to happen. We, we are sinners by nature. Not only are we imperfect, but we're sinners by nature. And we're little rebels by, by nature, big rebels by nature. That's just what we are. So instruct them. Instruct them just as the Lord instructs you. Make clear expectations, but don't be excessively hard on them so as to discourage them. Don't, don't do that. Our Heavenly Father, you think about it, He's very wise and patient with us. He's very careful. He's taught us some things over many years. Many years, some things. It took us a long time, and we're still learning. And so in that same sense, I know that you have limited time with your children, but in that same sense, be mindful of how the Lord, there's just some things that take time. That just take time. And, and you know, we can... We can be efficient with tasks. We can get things done efficiently. But it's a whole other thing in these relationships to be efficient with people. We can be effective with people, but if you're efficient with people only, you're going to not have a good relationship, really, is what it comes down to, because you're just trying to get things done as quickly as possible, and you're not understanding why there's no relationship there and no one's listening, or, or things aren't being done the way you thought. So be mindful of that in your relationships. We, you can't be efficient with people, even, in, even as employers, with your employees. I mean, there, there's a time and a place for efficiency. Sometimes there's, there's risks and dangers without being efficient, but you can't always be that in all things, in all ways. Now, <clears throat> third, a third relationship is between employees and employers, here termed servants and masters. Back in Colossians 3.22, Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. God sees our hearts. He knows our thoughts. He knows what we're thinking. He knows what's in our hearts. We cannot hide it from him. So bring into alignment what you need to do, knowing that 
your God, your, your Lord, sees all things. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. Right? When your children obeying your parents, you're, you're obeying the Lord. When your workers, when your employees hearing what your boss is saying, you're obeying the Lord. You're serving the Lord in that faithfully, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. That's an encouragement that the Lord sees. Your boss may not see it, and, and the, but the Lord does. And your boss may treat you unfairly, but the Lord sees it. Trust the Lord. doesn't mean that he's going to get fired or she's going to get fired and you're going to get their job, but the Lord knows. Trust the Lord in it. Because, and he says, but in verse 25, but he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there's no respect of persons, whether that's the employee or the employer. The Lord will do what is, what is right, regardless of what excuses or justifications we make, because we do that. Well, I did this thing wrong because I was getting back at them for that thing. The Lord sees it. The Lord knows. Don't do it. Don't do it. Now it says in Colossians 4.1, Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. So the point here in this is that in this life, in our jobs, we are typically compensated for what we, we do, and you ought to be compensated for what you do. But not everything is just and equitable here in this life. And there's unfair things as we would judge them according to the flesh. There's things that aren't right or done right. All that aside, your heavenly Father knows. And he's done for you what is just and equitable. To give you an inheritance of eternal life in and by the Lord Jesus Christ. You didn't work for it. In fact, you disqualified yourself of it. But Christ gave it to you, having laid down his life for you, to give you an inheritance in himself so that we stand before God blameless and accepted by the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so God gives to his children abundantly above all that we could ask or think. Everything more than what we deserve. What we deserve is an eternity in hell for our works and our actions and our sins and our thoughts and our words and our deeds. But... For Christ's sake, we are given life by him. And, and he reveals who are his people by giving them faith that looks to Christ and believes him and worships him and, and seeks him and, and, and seeks to do what he says, to believe on him, to trust him for this life. So there's good to be had in hearing these exhortations. These are relationships given to picture our relationship to Christ, Christ our husband who loves and cares for us, Christ our father who instructs and guides us, Christ our Lord who is just and equitable with us in all things, who are his people. Now I began this message saying these relationships teach us about authority. In all the believer's relationships, you that trust Christ, he's given you faith. You're trusting the Lord in this. Right? The, the other person may not reciprocate the way you would like them to reciprocate, but you're trusting the Lord in this. Pray to him. Cry out to him. Trust him. Believe him. Walk 
in faith that he has ordained these things for my good. These relationships I'm in, it's for my good. You know, when the centurion asked Christ to heal his servant, Christ said, I'll, I'll do it. I'll go to your house and I'll heal him. And he said to him, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to enter my house, to come here and to heal my servant. And he said, I'm a man under authority. I have someone over me and I have people under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do it, and he does it. And so he said, you just say, say the word. Well, well, Christ said when he heard it, he marveled. He marveled. Now, it says that Christ, he's God, but it says that for your sake and for my sake. That he, he's saying that's faith. That's faith. And Jesus said unto the centurion, go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And, it, and his servant was healed that self-same hour. Think about that statement in all your relationships. As thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. In all your relationships, pray to the Lord. Lord, let me see that. Let me see the truth of that in each of my relationships. Because I'm trusting you, Lord. I'm believing you that you've ordained this for my good, and for their good, and, and the Lord will bless, will bless it. And he, he says it because he's teaching you in it to trust him, to believe him, to hope in him against all hope, because he's almighty God and able to do it, able to bring it to pass, and he delights to show you, his bride, that he does just that. I pray the Lord bless that word to your hearts, brethren.